Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. So we've been in First Peter. Let's talk about that. Um, and so we're. this is the third lesson in Peter, and we're going to cover verses 6 through 9 today. So I'm going to try to cover four verses. And let me go ahead and read those. It says, In this you greatly rejoice, even, now, not, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may result may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith for the, sal for the salvation of your souls. Amen. And so we're going to talk today about greatly rejoicing, what it means to greatly rejoice. <clears throat> but before I do that, let me talk about what we talked about last week. Last week we talked about the hymn of praise, how verses 3, 4, and 5, Peter kind of steps away from his introduction and just gives a, well, it's called a doxology, but he, he essentially breaks out into song. He breaks out into a, a poetic song to God, talking about how awesome God is and declaring how awesome he is. And specifically, he began to praise him because salvation, according to that text, is from God through Christ by mercy. And that because of that, we have a living and eternal hope. And that we are protected as believers by the omnipotent power of God. And so, I mean, we, so we talked about that. I was super excited last week, just as I suspected Peter was when he, when he wrote this piece. That although inspired by the Holy Spirit or having been inspired by the Holy Spirit, man, he just had a... He had a moment where he just had to shout glory to God, right? And, and I hope that you guys have those moments. I hope that you guys come to a place in your life where you recognize that if we don't have anything else, we have, by God, through Christ, because of mercy, a salvation and a hope that is eternal and that God protects us in this life. That should cause us to be people who greatly rejoice. Amen? But sadly, we don't always. We get mired down in the day-to-day, -day, and I get it. World today, I, I made the mistake of watching a little bit of the news today. But you know what? The news is smaller than the God that we serve. The situation that we live in is greater than, or is not as great, is less great than the great hope that we have. It's temporal, not eternal. And so everything that Paul, Peter talked about last week should cause us to greatly rejoice, but we don't. Sadly, most of us walk around. I read a book when I was a young man. Some of you might be familiar with it. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, Not Good, Very Bad Day. And it's about this kid. He's probably around 10 years old. And it says he knew it was going to be a terrible, horrible, not good, very bad day when he woke up realizing he had fell asleep with gum in his mouth and it was in his hair. 
He got up to brush his teeth. His sweater fell in the sink with the running water. He went to school. It was a bad day at school. They had a test and a pop quiz he wasn't prepared for. He got out of school, and he had to go to the dentist. He hates the dentist. This 10-year-old talking about all the things that went horribly wrong in his life that day. He said, worst coming to worst, I come home after a bad day at bad morning a bad day at school had to go to the dentist and mama served cauliflower for dinner and so i go to get ready for bed and we watch a little television and the only thing on television is kissing and hugging and i hate kissing and hugging and so he found nothing to celebrate in this whole day he said when i finally got to go brush my teeth i dropped my marble down the sink my nightlight went out and the dog decided to sleep with my brother instead of me and this is how we live our life so many of us in complete disregard for all the reasons we should be rejoicing we live as though it's Jim Cubic and his horrible terrible not good very bad day and you can put your own name there if you want to and as funny as that story is that's sadly how many of us decide we make a decision to live that way and let me tell you not making a decision to live that way is a decision to live that way you have to make a decision to be joyful and according to what he says here greatly rejoice and so he starts this text with the, with this in mind he says verse 6 in this you greatly rejoice in this you greatly rejoice and so there's a both a forward a, a looking forward and a looking back in this statement he's saying in this the stuff that i just said which we covered last week the fact that we have salvation because of the mercy that we have through christ jesus because god decided to give it to us our hope is eternal and god protects us in this we should have great joy but there was a forward look too as Peter then begins to name four things through 6 through 9, verses 6 through 9, why we should continue to be people who rejoice. And those are the four things I want to cover today. I want to talk to you about why do we rejoice. I know life is hard. But I say it and I say it and I say it. This is literally just the application process for eternity. Let us make a decision to be grateful or gr to greatly rejoice every day of our life. But you don't understand my life. I don't have to understand your life. I got my own reasons to be negative. But I've made a decision to not be negative. Alexander had all the reasons in the world why to be negative, and he expressed them. But you know what he didn't express? He had a reason to be joyful and that he had a place to lay his head at night. He had a family that cared enough about him that he was able to get an education, that they loved him enough to take him to the dentist, that they fed him in a way that caused him to be healthy, that he lived with electricity so he could even watch television, that he could go to bed with the comfort of knowing that someone cared about him and loved him. And so what are we going to decide? Are we going to decide to be Alexander the horrible, terrible, not good, very bad day guy? Or Alexander, everything should be cause us to greatly rejoice guy. And that's a decision we have to make. 
Because Peter gives us four reasons why we should rejoice greatly. Number one, we rejoice greatly or greatly rejoice because of our various trials. Verse six, in this you greatly rejoice. I've covered that already, both the forward and the backward. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Anybody got any trials going on in their life? Well, let me ask you this question. Because everybody's got one. Does anybody have two? Can I hear two? Can I hear three? Can I hear ten? We all got more trials than we can count. Various trials mean exactly that. It doesn't matter how many problems you have. We trust God to get us through that trial. He's not saying celebrate the trial. Who celebrates a trial? But we make a decision that in that trial, while we're involved in that trial, we are going to be people who celebrate the goodness of God. That we have salvation, that our eternal hope is for, is, well, our hope is eternal, and that God protects us. And so we have to make a decision to rejoice greatly even in our trial. I love this, James. We just come out of the book of James. Uh, it's been about six months there. Right out of the gate, James says this, 1, 2 through 4. Consider it all joy. Everybody say all joy. My brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete. Love these three words. Lacking in nothing. This is the word of God speaking to us. This is the eternal Holy Spirit of God speaking through James. Saying it doesn't matter what you have going on. You need to acknowledge that we are to have joy in all things. Knowing that that trial produces a perfectness in us. A perfect faith in us. I think about Jonah. One of the very first sermon series I ever did here was about Jonah. And I think we got Jonah's story all jacked up. If I ask most people what was Jonah's biggest trial during the, during the time that that book is written, what would it be? And most people would be all, well, he got swallowed by a big fish. That wasn't his worst trial. That was his greatest blessing. Hear me out. Because we're used to hearing, oh, poor Jonah got swelled, swallowed by a whale. And I'm going to use whale, it's big fish, whatever. We'll go back to Sunday school. Jonah got swallowed by a whale. What would happen if God had to send a whale to swallow Jonah? Jonah would have died. Jonah would have never come to himself. Jonah would have never been delivered to his calling. Perhaps the trial that we think we're going through might actually be the blessing God is using us, using to get us to a place where we acknowledge him like we should and deliver us to our calling. Well, that don't, that don't fit my narrative, man. I can't help it. I'm a naturally negative person. I've had people tell me that. Well, we're all naturally negative people because we're all sinners both by birth and by action. But you know what? We have to take off the old self, put on the new self, and the new self celebrates even during a trial, greatly rejoices even during a trial. 
at the end of the day, the great thing about Jonah is he says this. Through the whole situation in the whale, he's in the stomach, he starts to pray. And the last thing he says before he spit up on the beach in Nineveh is this. Salvation is from the Lord. Think about that. God whittled him down to exactly who he was supposed to be and where he needed him to accomplish what he called him to do in what Jonah thought was the worst situation in his whole life. What am I telling you? Disregard the worst situation in your whole life and look at the blessing in it. Why are you being tried in the way that you're being tried? And according to James, it's so that that various trial may produce perseverance or endurance in you so that you make it to the end, to that eternal hope, while being protected by God so that you lack nothing. Man, that's a good preacher right there, Pastor Jim. I figure I heard at least one amen. I put that together well. Like, it just... Right on, there you go. But do you hear what I'm saying? People, we need to come into the house of God excited but reverent. We need to go into our workplaces excited but reverent. We need to go into our homes rejoicing but reverent. Because it is in our reverence to God that we find true joy. Because we acknowledge there that it's our trial that gets us where we should be. It's our trial that perfects us. You hear what I'm saying? I'm trying to reframe some things. Not just, can I tell you, not just for y'all, but for me. Every now and then, i got to go through my house and straighten up frames. Because I've been looking at it so jacked up for so long, I didn't even realize it was crooked. Y'all ever do that? Walk in somebody else's house, and you're all, stinks in here. But they don't think it stinks because it's their stink. Sometimes we got to go through the house and just fix some stuff. Straighten some frames. And realize that the world that we think is horrible, terrible, not good, very bad, is actually much better than it could be because we belong to Christ Jesus and he protects us. And in all of that, he perfects us. Let me, let me give you three examples of how you're perfected in your trial. It perfects us in our obedience. It perfects our obedience. Let me give you some scriptural basis for that. Genesis twenty-two twelve. 12. Abraham has gotten his son. He's walked three days. He found the mountain. God said, go up to the mountain. He gathers the firewood, does all the stuff, builds the altar. Climbs this mountain, does everything. Draws his arm back to slay his son. And God sends a message, don't do that. Because I really just wanted to see if you had perfect faith enough to be obedient. He lacked nothing, including his own son, because God perfected him in his obedience. Maybe your trial is designed to perfect you in your obedience so that you'll listen. Because sometimes we've got to be beaten ahead. 
to see if we're going to be submissive to the will of God as opposed to our own will. Not only does it perfect our obedience, it perfects our humility. Y'all know, man, it's my Achilles, it's my Achilles heel right here. But if you'll read the story of Joseph, I don't know if you've ever read in Genesis the story of Joseph. And let me, let me give you these texts should you want to go look them up. Genesis 37, 5 through 7. And Genesis 50, 19 through 21. Now that's a big jump between 37 and 50. But if you want to read the story of Genesis or Joseph, you're going to have to read all the way through that. Genesis 37, 5 through 7. Joseph has a dream. And in his youthful arrogance, he goes up and he brags to his brothers. Your sheaths, your, your reeds are going to bend to my reeds. Your sheaths are going to bend to my sheaths. I'm the man. Mama likes me better. Look at this coat. He's talking all this smack. And he gets sold into slavery. And it's through the trials of his slavery. He gets put in prison, gets promoted out of prison, gets put in prison, gets accused of adultery. Over and over and over, he lives this cyclic up and down, up and down, up and down. For what purpose? It's all a trial, but for what purpose? To perfect his humility. In Genesis 50, 19 through 21, let me just read that to you because it's so big. It gets at the beginning of my Bible. Yeah. See, I was kidding. Not funnily, but not, not, not in a humorous way, apparently. So Genesis 19 through 21 says this. Now, Joseph got sold into slavery his whole life. Sold into slavery in and out of prison because of what his brothers did. And this is what he says in 19 through 21. But Joseph said to them, his brothers, when they finally came back to him, do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. He had the power to kill them. Do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Perhaps instead of groaning about our trial, we should rec recognize that God's trying to create an obedience in us. Or maybe God's trying to create humility in us. Or furthermore, a dependency on him in us. There's a story in your Bible in Psalm, 1 Samuel chapter 26 of David. If you don't know the story, David was, uh, was anointed king long before he was actually king. Saul became the king. Saul became jealous, started hunting him down, wanted to kill him, did everything he could to kill him, never could kill him because God protected him and watched over him. David, who had already been anointed king, and Abishai, which was kind of his right-hand man, found Saul asleep in his tent. And Abishai looks at David and says, let me just stick him to the ground with my spear. And he said, no, no, no. That's God's problem to deal with. Perhaps God in our trial is just showing us that the problem that we have is really just his to deal with. 
And so instead of fussing, instead of crying and moping about the terrible bad day we're having, maybe we should just acknowledge that God's trying to perfect us, to make us perfect. Amen? And I, I thank, thank you indeed, because that is so good. Because you know what happens when God begins to perfect us? We begin to glorify God in our own life. Let me tell you, when a world is acting disobediently and it sees a Christian acting obediently, they want to know why. Why do you act different? Why are you humble when everybody else isn't humble? Why are you not scared when everybody else is scared? Why are you dependent on God instead of your own money, your own resources, your own ability and strength? Why you? And they might say it through gritted teeth. They may be mad at you about it. But you know what you say? Because I have learned that it doesn't matter what's going on around me. I can greatly rejoice because my salvation comes from God through Christ Jesus by grace. And that he protects me according to what we learned last week. That just messes me up, man. Because I don't want us to walk around downtrodden and beaten. I know some of your lives are hard. I've talked to you. And they're harder than mine. Some of y'all's lives are better than mine. But we all serve the same God who's capable of the same thing. Maybe instead of fussing, we should just be excited. Amen? Because the Bible says he will provide for us, he will protect us, and he will bless us. And I don't know about you guys today. I Like I said, I made a mistake of watching the news today. I could use a little provision, a little protection, and a little blessing. And quite honestly, a little muzzle over my mouth. But God is still good. The truth of John 1.16 is still true. For of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. You know what that means? Blessing upon blessing. For, for of his fullness we have all received what we haven't deserved upon what we haven't deserved upon what we haven't deserved upon what we haven't deserved. And for that we greatly rejoice number two we greatly rejoice because our trials bring incredible results verse 7 reads like this there's about 15 points I can make in this verse so y'all bear with me I'm just going to make one so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold which is perishable even though tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Christ Jesus of Jesus Christ. So as we sit and we allow God to work us, our, what we have is more precious than gold. Where we get messed up is we don't trust the goldsmith. You guys heard the story, or I'm sure you have. I just heard it recently. I don't know if somebody else told it or where I heard it, but of the silversmith who watches the silver to make sure it 
it is exactly purified it to it to the exact and specific standard he heats it up he melts it he waits for the dross to pull off the top of it and then he removes the dross so that the silver might be perfect same thing happens with gold that are because what we have is more precious than gold god sees to our purification process that purification process is by way of trial where we get messed up is we don't allow god to be the gods the goldsmith that he is we do one of two things we remove ourselves from the fire before we learn the lesson he's trying to teach us which i've seen over and over people get uncomfortable they start getting challenged their flesh starts getting stretched a little bit and they're like, oh, i don't want any of that I, i'm out see you and they remove themselves from the fire before they get the opportunity to have the dross removed from them. Can I tell you, Angela and I, this may surprise some of you. We were in a Sunday school class. Uh, Pastor, no, it was Mary, it was Chris Kelso's class before I actually met Pastor Rick. And we had a small group leader named Johnny Clemente. Johnny Clemente. And so there was like 15 of us, and we were talking before, before Sunday school class, and everybody... It was kind of like our own little connect group within a Sunday school class because the Sunday school classes were so big there. And uh, Johnny said one day, he said, hey, so this is what's going to happen. We're going to, like every day I get together, we get together and I pray over all of us. And so we're going we're gonna to give everybody an opportunity to pray over the group. And next Sunday it'll be your opportunity and then the Sunday after that it'll be yours and then the Sunday after that it'll be yours. And he looked at me like on the second or third Sunday and I said, no, I didn't say no. I was all, all right, cool. We didn't show back up for church for three or four weeks because I was not having myself stretched like that. And I almost allowed myself to be removed from the fire before God had an opportunity to pull the dross off of me. How fatal would that have been for my long-term relationship with God and the calling he gave me. So we do, we do that. Or we don't trust him to pull us out in time. We either remove ourselves too early or don't trust that he has our best intentions at heart. And so we separate ourselves from God can't possibly love me if he's letting me go through this. Let me tell you, the reason you're going through this is because God loves you. I don't discipline my kids because I hate them. I discipline my kids because I love them. He allows us to go through trial, not because he hates us, but because he loves us. But as much as all of this is the incredible result, there's even a, a, a different incredible result that I want to talk about primarily and it's the second half of this verse. It says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Sentence structure is everything. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit taught me something new in this verse this week. When we hear praise, glory, and honor, we are conditioned to believe that that is God's alone. And as far as we're concerned, we should praise, honor, and glorify God. That's our, 
primary objective in everything that we do. But that's not what it's saying. It's saying at the revelation of Jesus Christ, our faith will bring us honor, glory, and praise from God. <laughs> I get goose pimples thinking that the God that created the universe in eternity, when he comes back for me, is going to honor me, to glorify me, and to praise me. You're all thinking, he's not going to glorify you. Glorify just means to make bigger, to make better. You don't think you're going to be made better in heaven? You don't think you're going to be made bigger in heaven than, and more capable than you are right now? Didn't Jesus, in a parable, say, well done, good and faithful slave? This is what happens when the master returns for us. This is the honor and the praise and the glory that God wants to pour out on us when we rejoice greatly. When we recognize that the truths that we talked about last week and the truth that we've talked about this week is true over us. That God, I, I, I kind of have this Pawpawly figure of, my, of God because all of us see God through the lens of our dad or our granddad or something. And I see my papa just kind of bending down, looking at me like I'm real small and just going, proud of you, boy. Proud of you. But that's what the Bible says that God will do for those who are faithful with what they've been given. Hey, man, if that's not a reason to celebrate, it's not a reason to greatly rejoice, I don't know what is. Verses 8 and 9 says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The third point I was going to make, and I'm, I'm going to cut it down for the sake of time, is, we greatly rejoice because we are people of faith. What does it say? Though you can't see him, you love him. Though you can't see him, you believe in him. He's going to reward that in you. This is by definition faith. The evidence of things that you can't see. That's why it's impossible to please God without faith because how are you going to please him if you can't love him and believe in him even though you don't get to see him you can't that's the reason why one of my favorite chapters in all the scripture just so you guys know is Hebrews chapter 11 many of you are familiar with this it. it's, it's called the hall of faith and Noah did this by faith and uh, Abraham did this by faith and everybody did this and this and this and there's, I mean, it just lists all these Old Testament giants but it says this. Verse 36. And others. Because of their faith. And others experienced mockings and scourgings. Chains and imprisonment. imprisonment stoned. Sawn in two. Were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. Being destitute afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, 
wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they wouldn't be made perfect. So once they've been separated from worldly things, they will be made perfect. Don't you guys understand that we are the and others? What's the difference between us and Moses and Joseph and Noah and Abraham and Jacob and Enoch and Sarah and Abel? What's the difference between us and them? Nothing. The only thing that separates extraordinary men and women from non-extraordinary men or women is what they're willing to allow God to do in them. These guys were guys and gals just like us. But because they were willing to endure the trial and rejoice in it, they believed in him and loved him and rejoiced in their faith. And they never saw their reward on earth. And that's okay. Because 10,000 years from now, you ain't going to remember that anyway. I'll be honest with you. I, I can't imagine what the presence of God is like. I've read about it. But I can't imagine one second after that I'm going to remember this anyway. The trial anyway. Because God is bigger. God gave us grace. God protects us. And our hope is eternal. And in verse 9, which is my last point, is we rejoice, I'm sorry, we greatly rejoice because our faith has an outcome. This is, this is the simplest point that I can make, and it's the simplest point I'm going to make today. It says this, Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That's good. Let me throw something at you you may not know. Your isn't in the original text. You're going to find it in your Bible, but in the original Hebrew text or Greek text, it's not in there. Read it without the your. Obtaining is the outcome of your faith, the salvation of souls. Your faith isn't going to just save you. But the example of your faith brings other people to faith. And because God gave us a hand in that, our terrible, horrible, not good, very bad day just became a whole lot better. Amen?